Hey, everybody. We are here with uh, Murph and Mike, and we are talking about the uh, historical, historically accurate and poignant <laughs> film uh, by Canon Films today. It's called Missing in Action, starring uh, Chuck Norris. And I think this is definitely an important movie in the, in the history of understanding the the Vietnam conflict and, and what it meant well, for America. I, I believe it's a documentary, correct? Yes, this is a definitely a documentary. <laughs> It's a Ken Burns it's actually Ken, it's a Ken Burns reenactment. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Ken Burns under his pseudonym of But yeah, we're talking about uh the 1980 I think it's 1985 or is it 1884. Uh 84. It, was made, it was made in 84 85. Yeah, okay. It's 1985 uh canon classic. This you is might the, be confusing it uh, okay, the original of movie. The sequel and the yeah. The sequel which is also a prequel that was yeah. in fact made before this movie we're about to talk about this made. But yeah, I'm pretty excited to talk about this. Uh, uh, we're talking about, I think it was Chuck Norris's first series or series of movies with Canon Films. And, and I believe so. Uh, definitely a big deal. Uh, I loved this movie as a kid. Uh, I will say, I think I liked the sequel a little bit more and I saw that a little bit more. Um, but You mean this the prequel? One, <laughs> the sequel prequel? Uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm going to do that the whole podcast that's just, to, <laughs> just to be a dick about oh, it. We're going to talk about, we're going to talk about the, the timing of these movies and why it makes no sense. And I'm going to talk a little bit about the third movie because I watched some of that this week. And, and surprise, <laughs> none of the James Braddock timeline makes sense in any of the movies. None of them, <laughs> none of them seem to connect, which is fantastic. <laughs> and uh, yeah, so we are talking about the story of Colonel James Braddock, a former uh, U.S. POW or, that was uh, declared missing in action for about seven or eight years in Vietnam. Uh, he escapes his captors, and this movie picks up right when uh, Mr. Braddock is being invited as part of a political delegation to Vietnam, where he is there to seek justice and truth for <laughs> American POWs. Well, well, well said. Well said. <laughs> I'm saluting a flag right now. <laughs> uh, so no, this is a podcast is movie marathon. And so we're trying oh, to uh, yeah, recapture true. some of the magic of uh, these movie marathons we did as uh, kids, teenagers, I guess, young adults, uh, adults, even. <laughs> um, I would argue I'm still not an adult and I'm 40. <laughs> fair point. <laughs> uh, and this very much feels like a movie we would have done uh, at one of those movie marathons. But I just, uh, since it is our first uh, Chuck Norris movie, I believe, I just wanted to give a shout out to uh, the Chuck Norris movie we did do at one of the movie marathons. Which one? Oh, God. Which one was it? I believe it's Forest Warrior. Or <laughs> yeah, Chuck Norris Warrior. can turn into a bear. Bear? I, is it just a bear? Or can he turn into other animals? I thought it was like he he, he was like a uh a shapeshifter a like, shapeshifting of uh had like native, native american. american powers of like <laughs> which is you know canonical to native american uh mythology is chuck norris yeah definitely uh, and he will turn into the mighty bear that was <laughs> or the eagle oh yeah because i think he turns into like an eagle at some point or like can do that's what i thought is i thought he turned into different we, we better the ending J. is the bear i remember the <laughs> ending is the bear that's text jay <laughs> yeah so, hey, i know you're probably still he'll, working he'll know <laughs> um wh who do you think did Native American cultural appropriation better? Uh, Steven Seagal or Chuck Norris <laughs> in the mid nineties? <laughs> I would argue I, I, that uh, uh, Seagal took it a, a couple of couple of ticks above what, what Norris did. I at least think Chuck Norris's. I don't want to say heart was in the right place, but is at least trying to be respectful. <laughs> yeah. Whereas Steven Seagal is like, 
Yeah, yeah, this is about me. Yeah, it's about me. <laughs> yeah, I'm Native American. I'm also yeah. I also do karate. I'm basically the same. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, that does remind me. I did I see get a, a I don't. It, it was an older episode. I can't remember what it may, may have been. Like a an excerpt from. Can't remember whose po- uh, podcast it was. I think it was um, Tom Segura had done a show, and Al Franken was a guest on there. And uh, they, it was like a five or ten minute just story from Al Franken about the one time Steven Seagal hosted SNL in the early nineties. Oh yeah, and how he was just the most insufferable, terrible person yeah. they'd ever had on there, and they basically that was Lauren Michaels' like floor for worst host you could ever have. <laughs> yeah, the stories I've heard about is that. It's not even like he didn't have a sense of humor. It's that he <laughs> fundamentally was incapable of understanding comedy. <laughs> and so like he would just do this stuff. And it was like, like, like you're. Like, yeah. One of them was like, he, he came up with a comedy skit. show. <laughs> he came up with his own skit about how he's going to sexually assault a person as a therapist. And it was like, that was like the whole premise. And like, nobody <laughs> yeah. got it except him. So it's like really awkward, but must have yeah. been a fun week at work there. I they got some good stories out of it. I will say if you've never seen it, watch yeah, a lot of mileage for being future podcast guests. <laughs> oh yeah. I mean, well, just in, in general, just crazy fly on the wall stories of like the, the I will say if you get a chance, watch the final skit because it's like a it's semi-serious and it's but it's supposed to be played as a joke. And it's Seagal breaking into a, a corporate boardroom yeah. and beating up like uh, um, oil executives or something like that for some sort of environmental reasons. Yeah. But that's like doesn't land as funny. It's just weird and a little scary. And like sometimes those last sketches on NSNL can be pretty they're, terrible. Yeah. But, they're the and like, reason. That one is like, well, this guy's it's obvious like this guy's insisting he get one of his ideas in here. It's yeah. like we're just giving him the last here sketch. It is. Here it is. Like, go hang yourself, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> and he did. I mean, the good news is at one one in the morning, nobody's watching. Probably at that yeah. point, like you said, they're 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 doing them at the back end for a reason. But anyway, let's Missing talk about uh, Colonel James Braddock, Chuck Norris, Chuck fucking Norris. Do you think he Fuck wore yeah. his uh, action jeans while filming this movie? Um, he was definitely wearing them when he was watching Spider Man. That yeah. I know for sure. <laughs> How much of this do you want to talk about Spider-Man? Like what percentage of things you have to talk about are Spider-Man? Well, Spider-Man? since the movie is like 20% Spider-Man, <laughs> feel we need to dedicate that much to it. Um, God, there's so much stuff I, I just am excited to talk about in this. It's probably, so, we're doing this so late at night. It's gonna be Yeah, it's going to be interesting. So as a, I feel I love the idea of Chuck Norris more than I really enjoy Chuck Norris movies. I feel I watch a Chuck Norris movie. I'm like, yeah, this is not very good. But then in my brain afterwards, like as time goes by, I I don't want to say I talk myself into, but I pick out like the ridiculous moments. Like so like the same thing with this one. I was like, man, this is like a little slow. I don't yeah. know how good this is. And the, the last 30 minutes really picks up. Um, It's pretty fun. Uh, but then, like, subsequently, the past, like, four or five days, like, it's really been, like, playing in my head again of, like, laughing <laughs> at a lot of the, the, the ridiculous moments of the movie. Uh, and so, as, as I don't know, something in my brain enjoys, like, the idea so much more. And then watching it, I'm not sure, but, like, my brain, like, sticks with it and still finds it compelling. Like, I'm still thinking about this movie. 
Uh, well, I don't know what's alert, wrong with me. Nothing. There's, you're a, you're a perfectly normal human being. Uh, you're a good goddamn American, Mike. That's what you. <laughs> <laughs> Not like that fucking senator. <laughs> yeah, that piece of shit. Um, <laughs> well, my good news for for watching Missing in Action again was it left streaming. I think I think we both did our notes like a like a week early i think because we knew it was gonna leave streaming so we're trying to catch it right before the end of november uh well i i was not worried about leaving streaming (laughs) as i I texted you it's not leaving my (laughs) dvd collection i thought you were gonna say vhs but no you actually have this on like something that you bought in the 21st century (laughs) yeah no i there is like a canon like 10 pack or something that i bought i'm surprised um, it's only 10 that uh yeah and one of them is the um which I'm most excited about um, to have Later. is that electric boogaloo documentary. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, I want to see that again. I, I yeah, yeah, I really. And want I was to like, uh, and it was pretty cheap. And I was like, oh, that's well worth it for. This um, is a deal. <laughs> yeah, for, you know, for that movie because like, and and then you get these other <laughs> canon <laughs> insanity to go with it. Well, I uh, I opened my laptop last night and forgot that I never closed the browser where it was streaming, and so it seems like it. It's still fully preloaded, so I did watch like twenty minutes of it again. Last nice. <laughs> and it was the opening of of the Spider Man cartoon and uh, <laughs> uh, Braddock getting to getting to Vietnam. All right. So, so uh, before we get into the movie, do you have any uh, Chuck Norris thoughts? What does Chuck Norris mean to you? <laughs> um, I my biggest memory of Chuck Norris is I remember watching these these movies as a kid again like pretty much everything i'm going to say on this podcast i think i watched them as replays on on i was actually thinking about this and i laughed my ass off i was like i would go to my dad's on saturdays and i'd usually catch like the tail end of saturday morning cartoons on and my dad my dad didn't have cable so we only, he only had like fox like fox on antenna um ABC, NBC, CBS, and Fox 54 and Augusta would always do Saturday afternoon movies. But the problem was, is like, I get to his house like late morning, I'd see like one cartoon, and then it'd be an hour of Soul Train. And so I'd have to wait <laughs> for Soul Train to get over with. And then they would start the Fox 54 after like Saturday afternoon matinee, and I would, I would watch that. So I have a memory <laughs> of Chuck Norris and that because I know that's when I watched uh, Missing in Action. But I remember him more because my grandfather was a huge uh, Walker, Texas Ranger fan. And so whenever I go to his, his house, <laughs> that, believe, that tracks <laughs> or the early 2000s, like he was just watching reruns yeah. of, of Walker, Texas Ranger. So that's kind of my my Chuck Norris memories. I mean, what about what about you? Uh, I feel it was just like, I don't remember a world without Chuck Norris. Like I feel so like he was always just this guy like out there. It's like, and Walker, Texas Ranger started probably when we were around like 10, maybe. Yeah, probably about. Um, and so I feel like that was a thing for like a big chunk of like, as a, as a yeah, kid. we were 10. Like, oh, like exactly. Chuck we were 10 is in this. And then seeing like on like USA or something like, so like this movie, I'm like, I've seen this before, but prior to watching it like now is like it really like, in many other chuck norris movies like they all just like blend together in my brain of like just like flipping through channels like oh a chuck norris movie is like yeah sure i'll watch that but they're so like interchangeable it's like i couldn't 
identify any plot like a guarantee i've seen anything from start to finish or like but it's just like yeah sure chuck norris movie and like no that's i i think especially his he he, his zenith was probably closer to the early 80s early mid 80s around the time this came out because i to your point i think we both watched i think it was delta force three i can't remember we watched one of the delta (laughs) force movies and i watched part of missing in action three and it's like Honestly, if you drop me into either of them, I could not tell you which was which. Yeah, because like they, they're they look the same. He looks the same. He has the same well, kind of. And it's costume. also like and, and like he's, he's kind of the same character. Just Chuck Norris. Yeah, yeah, like he's, he's not he's not acting. Like, yeah. he's like. So I was listening to the uh, Rewatchables today, and they're talking about Denzel Washington. I'm Man on Fire episode. And, yeah. yeah, yeah, and it's funny is they talk about like how um, he's always playing kind of playing like denzel washington, denzel washington but with yeah. but it's like but he's a great actor and chuck norris <laughs> is always like playing chuck norris and he's not a good actor so there's like no there's no him shades him, to him it. he's Seagal. not heightening anything he's not like it's just it's the same beats the same character like same delivery everything it's not like oh he's a little bit like like even if he is like an alcoholic or, so, or like supposed to be the character of them, it's no different than like the one where he, if he was like straight laced, like the portrayal is the same. Like he can't, he's not showing you range. No, I, uh, he does play an alcoholic of sorts in the movie Lone, Lone Wolf McQuaid, which, which was is... the inspiration for uh, Walker, Texas Ranger. Kind of. Yeah. I think, I think you're right. Like, yeah. except like a less depressing character. Yeah. 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 Wolf so, uh, so speaking of his career, so watching this, it, you know, it's like super seedy canon movie. It's violent. It's there's naked women that are being exploited. Um, and and so later in his career, him, he does this run with canon. And then later in his career, he kind of pivots to where he's like, nah, I don't want to do R-rated <laughs> stuff with nudity, with violence, like too much violence. Like he makes a choice of like, it's like, man, I could get that. I kind of see why he would want to do that after this run with Canon of like, I I don't know how proud I am to have made these movies. Go ahead. No, sorry. Keep going. No, that is it. it. Well, no, I, I, to back you up on on that, I watched, so I want, I mean, cause I am a pathetic person. I watched missing (laughs) in action three cause it's streaming right now. And I was like, Oh, I'll just, I'll, I'll watch it just to kind of get some context. I mean, it's not funny. It's kind of sad they have to do it this way. They set up the exact same premise as they do with in, in this one with Tucker or Tuck, uh, where he finds him in a brothel and, he, and he's and he's kind of a you know slobby, kind of gross, despicable yeah. guy. And there's just rampant nudity. They have the same setup in Missing in Action 3 where he goes back to Vietnam and he finds some American expat that's doing the same thing. But there's no nudity and they don't show you any of the it's sort of implied and it's like they it's like exactly what you said is they took all this the stuff that's maybe questionably morally questionable from the first one and then you can see them like five or six years later just transposing it into the you know number three except they're taking out any of the sort of sleaziness of it and and it's just like a it's a set piece without any sort of of the wildness they show in this so i think you're right like i think he was like mandating like no I, i gotta I gotta start steering this cleaner <laughs> for, for that, an audience reasons. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. That, it, there's some stuff in this one that's like, man, that's it's like, 
it's pretty far out there for in a typical canon of exploitative <laughs> schlocky stuff. And like, yeah, I could see like you, you'd not necessarily want to be that guy. I could see it. Yeah. Reputation. You, you could see, I think he was smart to probably begin distancing himself from that. Cause I don't think. Yeah. His, I mean, it seemed to work. I don't know. I, I mean, he, he probably, great run. actually, he was probably smarter than Canon and recognizing <laughs> that was like some 80s action stuff that was going to wear out and he had to transition to something else. And Canon, that may be why Canon never realized of <laughs> um, made that pivot or was able to successfully make the pivot the way he did. Um, uh, yeah. A long run in kind of TV show. Well, I mean, and and it ran for I think almost a decade. So yeah, I yeah, mean, he that's... Had, that's a pretty good career. I, I bet he was making, and it was his production company on top of it with his him and his brother. Right. Uh, so you want to say this was eighty four, and he'd done some movies before it, and then you're saying Walker Texas Rangers ninety three to like two thousand two, like that's yeah, yeah, a good that, two decades that, of yeah. like you're. I mean, that's yeah. He, he and he timed it pretty well. I think when his movie career was pretty much starting to wane pretty heavily and i think most like you could argue most of the action guys are starting to wane um yeah 93 to, probably all the time to yeah i mean he was smart to smart. tv that fucking doing the total gym as well on qbc yeah. that guy <laughs> that guy was everywhere and well he, and he's st- he still got like martial arts schools and things are still i think hooked into that world as well is still um so i'm sure is making a making something off of that uh, speaking of Denzel Washington, I heard it on <laughs> another podcast. Well, this is all related. Another podcast um, called Action Boys, and I, I, I have so I'm I'm telling a story that story that's sort of third hand or fourth hand now. But there's a story about um, in his acting school that he owns in Texas. I guess when Jessica Simpson was younger, I think it was Jessica Simpson. She her parents enrolled her in the Chuck Norris like acting school. <laughs> And the person that he kept comparing all of them, all of the actors to is that what they need to do is acting exactly like what Denzel Washington does in terms of how he delivers and how he like looks at, I mean, at other actors. And I'm like, yes, he's not I, wrong, but yeah. well, apparently it like ruined Denzel Washington for Jessica. Simpson. <laughs> she like, cause I think it was something about like, they taped her eyes open or something. I can't remember. It was some horrible thing. Like, about how they basically tortured a child and they did it. It's now all she can see is like, it's like yeah, it's like, tor- torture. I mean, we're talking about missing an action, which is a POWs being tortured movie. So I think it's, <laughs> yeah. I think it's fair. We're, we're stitching all of this together, <laughs> but yeah, really, really interesting uh, story uh, about uh, how, how maybe ineffective uh, Chuck Norris's, uh, acting school was here it goes hollywood reporter jessica simpson recalls acting advice from chuck norris quote channel denzel washington awesome great advice we've, to a little girl in texas we've gone full circle <laughs> so so this movie is a pretty important for canon yeah i mean that it bo- budget is 2.5 million box office 22 million almost 23 perfect can recipe uh, yeah yeah you did your you grossed um your budget's 10 percent of what you gross so like yeah exactly what we see kind of repeated from them the successful movies kind of hit that hit that mark and so i, I guess the production is kind of funny so we talked about a little bit how this was supposed to be a sequel 
ended up being the first. And but so I guess the production of it was so uh, more serious note. Chuck Norris had had two brothers, and one of them died in Vietnam, and he was looking to do a movie to kind of honor that story of his brother who died. So with a writer he had worked with before, they came up with a script called Missing in Action. And they were shopping around town, went to all the studios. And none of the studios were interested. And so they ended up at Canon and they pitched them this movie. And Canon was really excited to make a Missing in Action movie with Chuck Norris. Just not the Missing in Action script Chuck Norris was trying to make. But they had their own missing in action script that they wanted to make. And that is what ends up being missing in action to well, a new beginning or um, no, no, the, the beginning, the beginning. Yeah. The beginning. The beginning. Uh, uh, and, but while they're making that, like, so Canon is super excited to be in the Chuck Norris business. <laughs> Hey, they're this so is, excited. Is <laughs> they're so excited while they're filming, while they're starting to get going on production, um, on missing in action. They decide we're just going to go ahead and film the sequel right afterwards, and like save money on the production by doing them back to back. Um, and so <laughs> I sent you this funny story. They have a director for the first one, uh, but they need a director for the second one. And I guess I guess. They took the script, Chuck Norris and this um, writer um, were coming, had been pitching. And I guess it was similar enough. They're able to tweak it a little bit. And that is what this movie is. But it's kind of adjusted to match what the, the first movie is, even though this ends up being the first movie. But uh, so they needed a director for this. So... <laughs> What I read, the funny part, they're looking to hire a director. And Friday the 13th, I think part four had part just four, come out. Yeah. Yeah. It was literally number one at the box office. And it really seems like, so Joseph Zito directed that. And it seems like Golden Globus just looked at what's the number one movie right now and just called that guy and like, hey, <laughs> do you want to direct this? And like the day later, he was signed on to direct it and was like flying down to the location out to the location to St. Kitts in the Caribbean, I think was one of yeah. the spots they did for at least the first one, the second one. And, uh, and they pulled the DP from Friday the 13th part four. They pulled a, a guy named Jal Fernandez. That, oh, um, wow. I didn't see that. So I think, I think it's, that's, I think that's kind of why if you compare this to the, to the sequel um, part two, um, this does this look ends up being <laughs> way better. Like visually just it, it looks like a 1980s movie, whereas if you watch the sequel, it looks like it's something that was shot in like the late mid late 70s. So I forget what studio it was. Um, so they sh they have the first one, which ends up being the second one, and there's a studio <laughs> that has like right of refusal to release the movie, and they show it to them, and they're like, uh, "Yeah, no thanks. <laughs> like we're not going to do that." Um, and then so. But then they get this second one and Golden Globe seems like, oh, this is way better. We're going to release this one first. <laughs> Even though we and, then and then like three months later, they release the next one <laughs> as like a prequel sequel. Yeah, I think, I think this I, I guess in, they were right. It worked. <laughs> it did. I was actually I looked up the box office for part two. Ten million dollars or ten point seven million. So it, it it's half or less than half of what the, the first one did. So they 
Yeah, I can't fault them. They weren't wrong. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I think, let me see, I think this one came out in November of 1984. Yep, uh, mid-November 1984. And then the sequel comes out in March of 85. So yeah, they're 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 stacking these things back to back. Yeah, um, Canon not known for their patience. <laughs> no, and it it it, uh, it didn't really pay off here. Actually, that's the kind of the sad part. Yeah, um, which, uh, it's that's what's so refreshing about like watching. So they like, normally all production stories are these long drawn out things, and like Canon is always just they wanted to do this, and so like three days later, like it was in production when they were doing it. <laughs> yeah, I think the time it took Kubrick to make um, Metal Jacket. <laughs> They were able to produce the movies, rise and fall and, of canon and, and produce, yeah, and, and produce and, and push them out, make two movies and push them out to, to theaters. Yeah. All uh, right. Do you want to? Uh, I need to go uh, check on my daughter. Do you want to pause this or do you want to like vamp for a little bit and entertain people with uh, uh I'm gonna, anecdotes? I am going to vamp for a little bit and I'm going to talk. Uh, I think I want to talk the most about uh, the timeline here and why you keep going, you go. Okay. Uh, I'm going to talk to myself <laughs> for a while because I think my favorite part of all of this is that it is, I, as Mike already mentioned, it is the sequel that they release first and then it's the prequel that comes out as a second movie. Uh, however, they set this entire movie up where uh, Braddock is returning to Vietnam and he uh, they don't really reveal how he is he is uh, has escaped the year prior uh, and then coming back. And what's interesting is uh, if you watch, they introduce uh, James, James Hong as one of the generals that was supposedly uh, Braddock's captor. Well, if you go and you jump back over to the sequel, and I, I think this is, this is part of the problem with their whole continuity. Uh, they introduce a whole set of different characters that are with Braddock when they show him being captured. And then they're the ones who are torturing him prior to, he and another another number a number of other POWs breaking out of a a, a POW camp, uh, and so what was always funny to me was watching this one, and then you watch the sequel, and the setups don't make any sense uh, relative to to each other, and then if you jump ahead to the third one, which came out in 1988. Uh, they introduce a whole nother backstory where Braddock has left a family behind in Vietnam. And in this case, they don't show him as being captured. The movie opens, uh, I think it's, it's supposed to be in April of 75 uh, during the fall of Saigon when, when the U.S. Uh, military is pulling out of Saigon. And uh, the story revolves around Braddock trying to find his, his long lost uh, fiance and uh, while Braddock is at the U.S. Embassy, he is shot and then he he gets pulled onto a helicopter. And so he gets helicoptered away and you see him escaping with all the other Marines and our, and our uh, soldiers that are evacuating the embassy in, in, in part three. And so if you look at all three of these movies together, none of them have a consistent approach anywhere about how he was captured, how he then escaped. And then how any of this setup makes sense relative to any of the other movies. So it's actually pretty impressive that they don't seem to give a fuck about any continuity between these movies other than Braddock and Vietnam. <laughs> Those are the only consistencies that you can find across it. So, uh, well, it looks like Mike's back. So I am. My one question for you is, um, do all the movies have flashbacks? 
they all have flashbacks. <laughs> um, and I was talking about it and, I, and you stepped away, but most of my point was across the, the, the three movies. And I think there's a fourth one. I've not seen the fourth one, but the three movies, all of them open with flashbacks where it's supposed to give you backstory about how he was captured and or escaped. And none of them actually line up with characters or what happens or making any kind of sense of a timeline. I don't, I don't know why I'm surprised it's canon movies, right? <laughs> yeah. It, it, it's just, it's like, it's funny. Cause even to me for these first two, they did have the ability to go back and edit and or like readjust timelines to kind of match them up. <laughs> and they don't even do that. No. Um, you know, so in this, I was, I, one of my points was uh, the terrific James Hong uh, who plays, I think it's general Tran. He's supposed to be the guy who captures Braddock and tortures him uh, along with one of the other guys they introduce. And uh, what's funny is if you go back and watch the sequel, which is supposed to be the prequel, <laughs> it, it sets up in the very beginning how Braddock gets captured, uh, the camp he goes to with these other POWs. And then uh, James Hong isn't there. Some other guy. I think it's a guy named uh, – I think it's an uh, actor named Soon <laughs> – Soon Tech O, and uh, he gets killed at the end, so it can't be the same character. And then it's Braddock getting helicoptered away, and you know at the very end. So it's like, well, that doesn't make any sense to the setup of this. That that it's just weird. Like they, they I see what they're going for, <laughs> but it's so disjointed. And it's like, did you guys even think ten seconds ahead in terms of how all this stuff could could even fit together? So anyway, that's my rant. I'll get off. I'll, I'll, I'll check that to me. I'll check it out. It's all canon. Yeah. That's the that's the saddest part about it is you can be like that's canon, and then you're like, yeah, okay, you're right. <laughs> yeah, it's gonna be it's bullshit. Like, why? <laughs> why, why am I surprised? Yeah, it's like bar for the course. <laughs> all right, so uh, we should probably get into this movie. <laughs> you want to get into Spider Man? I think we have to. <laughs> <laughs> um. Well, I mean, that's pretty much how the movie opens is, uh, well, I, I do. I, no, 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 no. I'm sorry. My background, my background. Uh, on my oh yeah. Yeah. There's movie. a, the, the, the opening to me is just too, it's too good well, to not like, all, like all good movies. It's really, there's kind of like two, uh, two bookends to the movie of Chuck Norris killing Vietnamese people. <laughs> <laughs> really, really strong bookends. Oh, Andrew sneezing. Uh, all right, it passed. Okay, we're good. Okay. <laughs> uh, yeah, good. no, I, I, uh, this opens with a. Well, but I will say you're right, though. We do need to talk about Spider Man within it because all the flat, all the opening action sequences all take place as flashbacks of Chuck Norris sitting in, I'm guessing it's like a motel room. That's what I don't. I don't really know but, where he is when that the opening takes place. But it's canon, so that might just be where he lives because they they never have like they never decorate places. Like, <laughs> and yeah, it looks like he lives in a flop house, but you don't know if it's in the United States. You yeah. don't know if he's still in Southeast Asia somewhere. It's it's weird. I mean, it definitely communicates. He's he's not doing great. <laughs> no, he's and he's just he's not going beers. well for old Braddock. Um. Well, he's I struggling. do want to the where the movie. Try, you can see they're trying to speak to PTSD, like on some level. They're like, "Oh, we really got to kind of start to touch on this." Well, the it, it's all built on this idea. He has this crazy dream, and he has two crazy dreams, like back to back. See, in the, fir in the first, this is one, where this is where we're going to disagree. 
Oh, you think it's you think it's just real? You think this shit's a flashback? This is how this is him escaping. That doesn't make any sense. It doesn't, it doesn't make any sense. Okay. <laughs> Do I need to start a list of other things in this movie that make no sense? I think this is supposed to be like I think it's truly supposed to be setting up that he has like nightmares stemming from his time, but I, I think they're they're not real. I, all I want to talk about, and it's really the only part that I so, <laughs> I, I think is important to, to to speak on, is not the PTSD, but it's talking about the idea of the guy who, with his soldiers, he's fighting alongside, uh, saves him. It's a guy. It's a very out of shape soldier. I think Chuck Norris is the only guy in the U.S. Army based on this movie that is is in any, shape. any kind of shape. <laughs> if, if, you, if you take this movie at face value, you're talking the guy the guy who kind of looks like Danny McBride, <laughs> the Danny McBride looking guy. Yeah, yeah. The, and uh, he shoots one of the the Viet Cong to to protect who's about to kill Chuck Norris. They turn to each other across this battlefield. The guy throws a thumbs up to Chuck Norris. Chuck Norris throws a thumbs up. Cut back to the guy with the thumbs up. Shot the chest to kill. <laughs> uh, spoiler: That's my that's my most canon moment uh, moment of this movie. I think. I will say Chuck Norris seems like the kind of guy who, if you if you encountered him in like a professional, say I was like a PA on Walker Texas Ranger, and and I like did something, and I and like Chuck Norris, are we good to go? And I was like gave like a good thumbs up. Like, yeah, I like that guy. We need to keep him around. <laughs> Meaning, like he truly takes it as like that's just a positive attitude. And you're like you're a, a guy who can give a good thumbs up. Like that's my kind of guy. <laughs> that guy's got to get fired, Aaron. We're gonna have to let that guy go. Yeah, we can um, on that guy. <laughs> <laughs> I uh, anyway, I just I wanted to touch on that because I don't think I've laughed that hard in a long time oh, in, in an oh, unintentionally it, funny scene. It, it hit just... me exactly the same way. Uh, <laughs> The second they showed that guy, I cracked that up laughing. Yeah. And then he gets shot right after they do the thumbs up. <laughs> but so that's what's strange is um okay, so the battle kind of goes on. Chuck Norris is crossing this river. He's firefighter carrying a guy out uh, who got injured, kind of doing a bubba gump, uh or force gump, bubba gump, or bubba uh carry to get this guy out of out of the, the jungle. And then it cuts to Chuck Norris, all of his guys just being evac'd out. And then for some reason, he's still there at this this Viet Cong base. And, and doesn't one of the helicopters like explode that they're Yeah, they, they just shoot it a couple of times yeah. and then it just it blows up uh, when it's taking off. And then Chuck fights his way across. And then all of a sudden, um, uh, he climbs up in this in, into like a, a guard post. And then while he's up there, he gets shot. And then two of his guys are down below while he's injured and they get shot and then they start getting stabbed (laughs) on top of that by one of the vehicles over and it cuts to this shot this overhead shot of from chuck's perspective looking out of the guard shack and he's looking down at this this vehicle just over repeatedly stabbing this guy in in the chest and the guy just going screaming and so what does chuck do chuck does the only thing he can do which is this is my background (laughs) <laughs> he pops the pin on two grenades and he jumps out screaming. And then the scene just ends with an explosion rising up where he came from. <laughs> it's like, all right. <laughs> so I think it's a dream sequence. I think this is uh I, I, I will I will go to the mat with you on the, the this is a dream sequence and it didn't really happen. Oh, I think it all happened. <laughs> and oh, Braddock just survived. <laughs> <laughs> that's the that's the part I want to understand is 
How does how does one survive? Well, that was my know? question too. But I think that's what the movie is positing that he can survive whatever this was. <laughs> well, somehow he does because then they go back to another dream sequence where he's he's being attacked by other like I think it's another American unit trying to free them or something, and there's mortars going off, and then they shoot one of his friends, and then I think he wakes up from that, and that's when we get to Spider Man. <laughs> <laughs> well no so all throughout the they're all this is these are all flashbacks yeah if i remember correctly and he's in this room or dreams and <laughs> flashbacks to dreams that really happened <laughs> yeah exactly i think that's basically the logic of this uh, but it's most consistent but, unfortunately but so he's got the tv on in this room and we get throughout this he he's watching something and changes the channel and it's the old spider-man cartoon <laughs> and so it's throughout these like flashbacks we get like it feels like five minutes of spider-man audio while we're just like watching <laughs> yes. chuck norris just like stare blankly into space where he's like remembering these horrific things <laughs> but we have spider-man audio in the background and then after we see all these they show like, I mean, I'm gonna overestimate this, but <laughs> so I wanted to say two minutes, but it's gonna be at least a minute of an actual episode of Spider-Man. It just keeps going. We just watch it. We're just like I have in my notes. Like, are they just gonna play the whole episode? Because like it just keeps on playing. Like, normally, you cut to a cartoon, you get what three seconds, ten seconds, like. 10 seconds would be long and this is much longer. <laughs> Do you want to talk about why we have such a prominent feature of Spider-Man? <laughs> so I like, I, I just wonder like how could Canon have afforded to do this on a, <laughs> why would you waste money on such a thing? <laughs> it well, couldn't be that Canon had the rights to Spider-Man. <laughs> well, it turns out Michael for the low, low price of $225,000. You in fact, can in 1984 get the rights to spider-man <laughs> which is which that is insane it really is um what a deal i mean my god if you fast forwarded this 20 years if they could have held on to it they would have one of their one spider-man movie from them potentially could have made enough to cover 10 canon canon movies what a world that would be if canon had had been Gold, able to Golden Globus and took over those. sony studios and so disney was having to deal with canon to make all these spider-man movies instead of sony i would i love it that's a that's it'd, a... it'd just be delightful to like see them like canon have all this power of like so you want to use spider-man huh what? guess you're working with old canon yeah hope, uh yeah <laughs> i just can't imagine what kind of demands and asks they would have for some reason uh um <laughs> i never mind um I, I, well, what's interesting, so they, they did get the rights. They had the rights from Marvel for, for Spider-Man. Um, and apparently there's a trailer, at least there's some sort of teaser. I'm assuming it's real uh, that's out there on YouTube of a 1985 Spider-Man movie that was going to be directed by Joe Zito, who was the director of this. So I think like to your point, it's like once they got him, like, he's our guy. <laughs> We're just going to use him on everything. <laughs> yeah. but oh, movie... that was definitely their way. Once they found someone, they, they liked it. They're like, yeah. That guy's yep. just going to do it all. Yeah, they did it with Bronson. They did it with Norris. So, 
Um, but then I think, uh, well, we'll talk about it next week. Actually, I don't, I don't want to, I don't want to fully tip the the trivia that you gave me. <laughs> the cyborg, the cyborg <laughs> on the cyborg episode. We will definitely be coming back to, Spi- to Spider Man might be coming up again. <laughs> yeah, but but it is. I think this this almost feels like they're they're just flaunting it. They're like, well, we've we've got it. We've got to we've got to shoehorn this thing in somehow <laughs> just just to, just to show it. So <laughs> related to that. <laughs> I, I didn't talk about this during the 52 pickup episode, but I, I in my research on that, I saw this story about, and it was kind of talking about them where like, they had like Roy Scheider and like their desire to work with more A-lister people. Yeah. And correct me if I'm wrong. Maybe I did talk about this. I t- did I talk about Dustin Hoffman in Canada? No. No. Okay. okay. Dustin um, Hoffman in Canada? No. So yeah. Not. So about the time um they said they got um stallone and gave him like a record deal to do over the top um there was a prod a movie that i think yeah i think i saw this because it was like another elmore leonard story yeah and they pursued dustin hoffman to do this and they offered him like significantly more than they gave stallone to do over the top and he eventually agreed, but the one like condition he had, aside from like the exorbitant amount of money, was they could Canon could not announce it or use his name in like announcing the production of the project, like like pre announcing like pre sale rights and stuff like that. Exactly, and... yeah. So it was, I, and I think it was also like if I like change my mind and want to back out, if production's not going well, it's not going to like necessarily get widely publicized i was tied to this kind of thing i was my, my guess but so canon and <laughs> their excitement couldn't contain themselves took out an ad in variety announcing oh man dustin hoffman going to star in the new canon project blah 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 blah. and so <laughs> does the dustin hoffman got mad and called him and was like what are you doing that was our one deal and they're like all right, all right we're sorry sorry we're just so excited to be working with you and he was like all right i'll let it slide <laughs> <laughs> and then they did it again. They did it again. I'm not surprised. And again, Dustin Hoffman forgave him. He did. And they did it a third time. And that's when he cut ties with them. Jesus Christ. But they just couldn't help themselves. They're so excited to be working with Dustin Hoffman. They just I... kept taking out ads advertising it. They didn't make Ishtar, did they? Uh, I don't think so. No, no. I don't think that's a kid. That would have been a little before them. Um, if memory serves, um, I've never seen Ishtar, so I, uh, I've seen, you. I've, I've seen it. Um, it's been a while. It's it, not bad in the way like a canon movie is bad. It's just, it's just boring. Like, yeah. Okay. So it's not, it's a little underwhelming if like you go into it with that like worst movie kind of thing. It's like, yeah, this isn't good. It's just like, but it's like, it's just, it's just very, boring not much is going on like it just isn't working what they're trying to do um but it's not like it's not like the room or something like where it's like yeah, complete yeah, yeah. incompetence which which so which probably makes it a tougher watch um i mean hey, it's it's but. yeah uh well i uh i feel bad for dustin hoffman but i also can't <laughs> i mean from, from what we know today like none of what you just said is surprised it should be surprising no. at least but it's just so candid. I'm like, they just, <laughs> why, why you have to love them? They're like so excited to be making movies. 
Well, I think that's like a microcosm of the whole Stallone thing. It's like they just were agreed to basically just pay whatever because they knew all they needed was the name and they could probably yeah. just bankroll whatever they were going to do, even well, if it was and, bad. And I think they got like five, six, seven years into making movies and just got so desperate to take the step to the next level and so excited for the chance to do that. like, And not <laughs> go like move past making like mission, mission like missing in action movies as their calling card. Yeah, I mean Stallone's probably what their biggest star I'm thinking if you if you have to look at their movies in terms of who like anybody they ever got. So, I don't know. Yeah, other than maybe older, you know, the Shatter box. Shatter, yeah, sorry. Shider, or like Shatter in terms of talent maybe. A random like like I don't I don't know if there's someone where they have like I guess, I guess this wouldn't necessarily be a star. Or just an actor, like like a Max von Sydow type or something. Um, and I don't that's know if true. he ever was in a canon movie, but it seems like. But that's not a star. That's just like a big time actor, more so. Yeah, I they I they they did they never they never really were a big draw. I'm uh, I was trying to think of like in terms of accomplished actors, and I'm like, yep, Delta Force. That was uh that had Lee Marvin in it at least, <laughs> and it's like uh. Yeah, that that's what they were like. Guys, ten years kind of past the prime, prime a bit of like, but <laughs> yeah. they're still a big name. To the the like, the, like, <laughs> like Letterboxd like, has a picture for Delta Force, and it's a and it's a side by side. Like the header of the website is like, it's a side by side of Chuck Norris and he's holding a bazooka next to a picture of or next to Lee Marvin who's holding a bazooka. But <laughs> Lee Marvin, it is sad. His shoulders are hunched down. He looks no. like old and, and Chuck Norris looks pretty intense, but you can like Lee Marvin's like, look, I know the Dirty Dozen was only 20 years ago, but I still <laughs> it. it's like, oh man. Uh, that is sad. So he, kinda looks, he, he looks more like Mick from from uh like Mer, uh Burgess Meredith from like Rocky Three. Oh god. Then he does like big big badass uh, Lee Marvin from from Dirty Dozen. <laughs> really depressing i'm gonna stop looking at that picture all right so so should we get back to spider-man <laughs> we were literally five minutes in this fucking movie so so the spider-man cartoon they show i didn't dive in that close to it and, and like i mean i guess i could have gone like track down the episode and watched it or something like it was like and i don't know if i can live with myself to do that much effort into this but it did seem like that episode was about some kind of escape <laughs> and I really like to posit that. So right after, like, so that Spider-Man cartoon is on, and Braddock like turns the TV off and picks up the phone, and he's like, "Yeah, it's Braddock. I'll do it." I'll and do I'd it. really like to think the Spider-Man cartoon is what inspired him. <laughs> I, I, it is an allegory for the entire movie, right? Like that's the. <laughs> I mean, he he, Braddock does have uh, some exceptional climbing skills. Apparently, he does make some Spider-Man illusions uh, later on. Uh, I'd like to think that. I'd like to think that 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 uh, Stan Lee uh, is really the reason this movie exists. Has to be. Has to be. Yeah. What other What other world could we live in? <laughs> well, speaking of the the Spider-Man stuff, if we fast forward ahead, I guess a little bit. So Brad, Braddock goes on this. Uh, this 
delegation to Vietnam to represent. Um, and he goes dressed in what looks like a drunk uncle's uh, 1980s attire. So what is the purpose of this delegation? I, I don't know. I, I It's like about him, but not about him. I, I, as yeah. best I can tell, it's it's the U.S. government has decided it needs to investigate the existence of POWs remaining in Vietnam. You know, about a, it's about a decade after the war has been has ended and, and the U.S. has pulled out. But for whatever reason, the whole thing seems to focus around the Vietnamese government, or at least the people that they're they're sort of showing you, which is General, I think General Tran, which is played by James Hong, uh, that Braddock seems to be the focal point of they detained him as a criminal, not as a POW. And so it's not what they did was not did, did not conflict with like the Geneva Convention or, or some other sort of uh, international law. But that's the like senator, the best I can give it for the like, senator who's running this kind of from the U.S. side. He seems to just hate Braddock. <laughs> like he just really like, has an issue with him. Um, and as soon as like as soon as like the Vietnamese are like, yeah, Braddock like was like was a bad guy. <laughs> he seems to really just like completely turn on him and be like, I don't I, 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 it, no, we seem it, to be missing like fifteen minutes of like exposition on the political, and not that I I, I expect a canon movie to handle this, but like the political <laughs> intricacies of what is occurring here. No, it, it's it's always one sided. It's always one sided. Braddock's never right or, or Braddock's never wrong. Uh, everyone's against him. right everybody's except, against him except, except the uh one lady the yeah except well, the, uh, she's against him but in a oh physically in a, a very different way you mean sexually i i, I do i do because he, he I, does I struggle, do I struggle to talk about sexual intimacy so i have to make you i think chuck would too because he's pretty horrible with his lady <laughs> <Yeah. around this laughs> movie. that was probably the most on-brand canon moment of like oh they're treating women like shit okay this is can't definitely can't movie all right got it yeah, that's, oh, that's like she's cool. she's only there to be attracted to our hero, <laughs> and, well, used he reaches, a, and used by him as a sexual object. Yeah, like well, so when he breaks back in uh, to his own hotel, uh, he rips her clothes off to basically fool the guards, and it's a kind of a it doesn't say anything while he's doing it. Just rips her clothes <laughs> off and throws yeah. her in the bed, and then the guards break in. So he's doing it to basically make them think they're sleeping together and that that he's been there the entire time right And there's no way he was the guy that was dressed all in black scaling the front of the fucking hotel or something <laughs> so um but i think i really enjoyed that that is the like, extremely you know white hotel i you know what it made me do yeah the very white hotel uh uh all black <laughs> i really enjoyed this because it just reminded me of uh you know uh our our private joe armstrong from american ninja <laughs> I did. It did make me go back and check and see. I'm like, did the same person who wrote that wrote this? Right, or write it, this. It's, it's not. Similarities, but, yeah. but yeah, it's like, oh, okay. It's, it's just, a very similar vibe. Like, maybe it's just canon just really just doesn't like women. That's nice. So, um, uh, yeah, I, don't... I shouldn't say I liked it. I should say it made me laugh at how consistent they were in their treatment of people. Like, Jesus Christ. It's, yeah. So I, de- I detect a similar theme occurring. <laughs> Do you so, think like if Spider-Man actually made it to big screen from canon that they would have had like <laughs> Dr. Jane Doom would have been like beating up yeah. MJ or something yeah. like that? 
It looks horrible. Oh god, I can't only imagine. It's like uh, Golan Globus are thinking about how they can quit they can kill Gwen Stacy <laughs> as soon as possible in the movie. It's like, Jesus. Uh, so when uh Braddock he so he for some reason so Braddock, as we talked about, is like obviously emotionally scarred and damaged from his experience in Vietnam. And that should be clear to every character in this movie. <laughs> and after this like little like shindig thing, this the this woman who I don't know, she works for the senator, I don't know, like a chief of staff or something. And she invites him like for a nightcap back to her room. And it's like <laughs> first night there. Not even like yeah. two days. It's first <laughs> yeah. night. Let's and it's go. like they've had like two conversations, maybe. <laughs> um and it's like, well, uh, this is weird, but sure, why not? We'll go with it. Um, but so Chuck Norris uses that as an opportunity um, to escape from the hotel where the guards are watching him. And he like scales down the balcony tell in the most slow, awkward, <laughs> unimpressive sequence. That is supposed to make you be impressed by by an action star. It's just he's like so slow, and I don't know it's him. I assume it's a stunt double. It's just like <laughs> so like slow and cautious, and it's like this is eighty four. So at this point in like Hong Kong, like Jackie Chan is doing this stuff and like flipping off balconies. And, oh, way 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 better. And like, story came out in eighty five as well, right? Um, that sounds about right. Uh, yeah. but it's just like in the, in the like we're living in a world where there are films being made or people are like scaling balconies outside of hotels in ways that are like insanely impressive. <laughs> and uh, this better is just, than like, this. <laughs> this is and like but I think this is Chuck Norris's appeal. He like in 84, he's like every guy who like went to Vietnam or like had a friend who died of Vietnam, like he can be their surrogate on the screen. It's dad porn. It's like, um, dad yeah, porn. it's like, he's like a dad. He has huge dad vibes. And like, you can sit there and be like, he's not like, he's obviously like really in shape, but he's not like cut the way like Van Damme is cut or like Stallone or something. And like Chuck's so 40 like, in this. Chuck's like our age in this, which is crazy. <laughs> damn. Yeah. Which explains, I mean, I mean, great body then. <laughs> uh, but, age, you're like, oh shit. All right. But he's like, he's like a pretty hairy guy. And like, it just feels like, oh, if I went, if like I get pulled into the army and trained for like two months, like I could be this guy. It's, it's just believable enough that, yeah, yeah. Like, 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 I could, I could, well, I, I could, I could, it's in sight that I could do it if I really try and like van damme doing like splits and shit it's like well no, i can never do that like yeah, yeah it's not happening i'm not having like a fucking crazy six-pack like that or something like that's just like ship a sail like that's gone <laughs> but like like chuck norris is like I, I could do that i could do it and it's yeah i think, I think that's uh, the appeal it is i think that was also like a, a seagal kind of had that same I, I i think there's like a case I, I where could, i could be an arrogant prick yeah <laughs> Uh, might already be one now, actually, without having to be an action. <laughs> yeah. <star. laughs> um, I think they're like Seagal and Norris kind of were on the maybe same coin, different sides. And there's kind of a good and bad side. Norris maybe falls <laughs> to the good, and uh, <laughs> Seagal definitely to the bad. Um, but yeah, I know it, it. He looks good in this. He looks. Oh yeah, 
Definitely. weirdly like freaky tanned in this like <laughs> like hey you're gonna get skin cancer if you don't stop this tan <laughs> at some point um but I, you know he looks good i mean he's not jacked but it's like he's in shape and i think um it it does feel like he probably did most of his own stunts at this point still or or at least a lot of them um definitely That's the him question I don't know. Doing the grenades, uh, jumping out. I think his brother. I, I, well, I, I tried to find it. There was at least one stunt man in this. It was who? And who was it? A, a, a little man named Jean Claude Van Damme. Who was literally a little man. He's a very small yeah. guy. But this is one of the, this is what I guess he started getting hooked in with Cannon, and one of the first things. I think this was the second thing actually after uh, Break In Two. Is he in Break In Two? There's one of those. He's like a background dancer like uh, like, okay. oh, like he's um i don't know you've probably seen a meme of it or something uh, but, um, the the high-waisted pants and like the tank top he's just like yeah, dancing in a bar yeah. yeah okay all right i didn't realize that was breaking too and like a crowd of people like mm. yeah like yep yeah. uh, and then i think this was the next one where he did some uh did some work with them so that like, it's 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 beginning <laughs> <laughs> i mean they were smart they i think they I, I will say like golden globus were not dumb when it came to having a good hand like these movies i mean they're not always great but they did resonate with a lot of people uh throughout the 1980s and and yeah, have so a life kind of after that. i was talking to my daughter and i was telling her we were recording a podcast <laughs> she's and she's, she's, you know, she's asking me about it and, and i was like and i was thinking about it, i was like oh you know for like 84 um especially that like final 30 minutes it's good. I That's, enjoyed it. Yeah, right. I was like that. Yeah. If you're going to a movie in '84, like I don't want, I don't want to give it too much credit. Like saying it's like completely original, but like there's like a lot of stuff. Like you've you've not lived in a world where you're just like seeing that all the time. No, like, this is your so. going to the theater and watching this is like your chance to see something like this, and you're yeah. not really getting it anywhere else. Um, and like, so like yeah, like I like I get why like it was. It was a hit because like this is scratching a niche for people that they're not they're not getting anywhere else. Yeah, I think um, I'm not sure it's a good itch. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> this is definitely scratching. Yeah, not sure that's uh, turned out well for anyone. But um, no, I I think in the time these were relevant and they they especially the Vietnam stuff. I think that yeah, there's a cultural America, there's a cultural that... shift around that time about Vietnam, and I think so. This came out what eighty four. Yeah. So it's post Apocalypse Now. It's about about five years, five six years on from Apocalypse Now, uh, and then it's pre Full Metal Jacket, and it's pre a lot of other sort of mid eighties like platoon. Uh, Platoon's eighty six. That's a year yeah. or two later. Um, whatever the Michael J. Fox Sean Penman was, I can never remember what it's called. But yeah, yeah like enough time. Like um, America is like there's a lot of people who are still scarred, but are maybe ready to like remember it differently and just feel better. Yeah, like, uh, yeah, I well, and I, I think that's that's a lot of what the 80s were was, I mean, Rambo, Rambo came out in what is it 80 or 81. And that's the whole backstory mm. of that is a guy with PTSD who's who's uh, trying to reacclimate and uh, gets gets treated pretty horribly by by a town yeah, sheriff. First, and that, first and, Blood's 82. 82. OK, yeah. And Which, then, this and is that, obviously a response to. <laughs> the popularity of, of the, rambo yeah first blood of a canon it's like we let's get in on that money and well speaking of uh 
Rambo didn't I can't I know we talked about it a little bit in one of the episodes, but didn't the first one also sort of conceptually the intent was to rip off James Cameron's Rambo 2 script? Oh, I feel or, I've or, heard or, or, that. Or, or were they trying to just get this out before because they knew that was going to be a bigger movie? I think I think that's what I've heard is they knew um Rambo 2 or First Blood 2 or whatever. Um First Blood Part 2, I think it is, but anyway, was coming yeah, but- out and they were trying that's why they were pushing these so hard to let's get in before them. Um kind of the typical canon style. <laughs> I mean yeah, I mean it's it's funny because both of these feature um main characters wearing headbands in Vietnam. So <laughs> yeah, yeah. definitely some similarities. But uh yeah, I, I um I think to your point, you know, I don't my grandfather loved these kinds of movies. I, I probably <laughs> yeah. better or worse have a lot of uh my movie taste is tied to to his in some ways. And uh these 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 were they just spoke, they just, they were in the zeitgeist and kind of spoke to some of the cultural things that were going on at the time. And so I think this does have its place and sort of why it's important, even as bad as it is. And I do think in this, Chuck Norris is trying to earnestly make a good movie that does pay tribute to his brother and others that maybe lost their lives in Vietnam. So it's, it's, it's easy to make fun of it. I do think there's some serious issues they're trying to address here, but because it's a canon movie, their focus is on explosions and, and big set pieces. <laughs> oh, and, and they and have explosions. And uh, that's it. So, um, well, let's talk about our other favorite American in this. Uh, <laughs> Tucker? <laughs> Tucker. <laughs> it played by Tucker. The immortal M. Emmett Walsh. <laughs> he, he may be immortal. I, I, I guess no, he, he is still alive. No. Yeah. No. Yeah. No. Oh, he is. Look it up. I'm looking it up right now because I don't believe. Oh God, he was. Yeah, he's only 87. I mean, damn, I thought he was dead. Yeah, uh, no, good, good run for him. Uh, yeah, he's been in everything in, in the world. He's still. I mean, he's still going. Is he? Is he still acting? Yeah. Still got like 20, 2022 credits. Yeah, he's on a. He on, he's on a couple looks, a couple episodes of the Righteous Gemstones. Um, I don't watch it, but I, I haven't seen it yet either. But yeah, okay. Um, yeah, um, but mean, yeah, he's got like a movie that's in like post production right now. Like, so yeah, yeah, he's still going. Yeah, he's in that uh, with John Bernthal American Gigolo series. Okay. Yeah, he's. He, <laughs> yeah, he, I, I hope he's a fellow Gigolo. <laughs> oh God, it's like like the future of like. What Bernthal's character has to look forward to. <laughs> this, is, <laughs> this is what you'll become. Um, yeah, he was in Knives. I forgot he was in Knives Out. So, wow, man, that guy has been everything. Well, yeah, I mean, a hell of a career. And this, he plays Tuck, or is it Tucker or Tuck? Jack I was, Tucker. Jack Tucker. And he is apparently a guy who owes uh, Colonel Braddock some favors, maybe even two. And, uh, so Braddock flies to Vietnam, or is it? Th- no, he flies to Thailand. I'm sorry, he flies Thailand, to Thailand. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he meets up with Tucker, who is hanging out in a uh, uh, an urban part of, I'm guessing, like either Phuket or or, or Bangkok, where 
Uh, you only I, I believe it's to, Bangkok is what it's supposed to be, but yeah, uh, uh, Herbie yeah, Hancock knockoff no, 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 <laughs> music. And that's all. That's all exclusively. <laughs> I I, I want to go see like one of the breaking movies because I I wonder if there's like they just lifted the entire soundtrack for like these street scenes and that's like oh that there is I believe there is one song that is reused from the break-in. Um, I it sounds like it. I, I I believe I did read that, <laughs> but. Uh, but then, uh, so then he goes to, a, uh, I guess it's a bar. I guess it's a brothel. I'm not really sure. It's a little both. <laughs> yeah. It's, everywhere seems to be both in Thailand, according to this movie. And they set up uh, Tuck getting his ass kicked by somebody. Uh, and then Braddock financially negotiates with him for getting him a boat ride back to Vietnam <laughs> while he's getting his ass kicked by somebody in the bar. <laughs> so. Tuck is a complicated character, I will say. <laughs> in 2022, he he's a uh, reluctant to help. Uh, but, seems to be immoral and reluctant to help. Uh, then then does all the everything he can correctly. Yeah, and then and then sacrifices himself. Yeah, he does. See you in hell, Braddock. Which the the probably best scene in the movie. Oh, just uh, a, a fat out of shape man rolling out of a, a small kid's boat. <laughs> trying no, to... no. no, I was going to say when uh, Braddock goes looking for him because he wants to leave early. Oh, he just, finds uh, him in bed with naked, two, two naked Thai prostitutes. Yeah, it's not not a good look. Yeah, it's uh, and it's just naked Emmett Walsh. And of, what does he say? <laughs> hey, Braddock, and, jump on in. Yeah, <laughs> it's like, it's like hey, thank you for that mental picture. So <laughs> just just what I wanted. Do you think that was like in the script, or that he's just like they found him like that, and they're like, well, we're just gonna shoot this as it is. We're just, it's gonna <laughs> <Just> keep going. <laughs> Um. Yeah, Tuck's Tuck's an interesting character. He's fun. I like Emmett Walsh in this. Um, he it's kind of the same character he plays in like Wild Wild West as the train conductor. It's like this kind of smarmy, <laughs> goofy guy who's kind of a no bullshit guy, but um, he's also sort of a foil for the the main hero to kind of beat up on a little bit and and yeah, and uses, it's like a use for comedy. It's. Kind of a standard role of like the ex buddy who has who owns a boat, <laughs> like, yeah, it is kind of like a seedy character, he's like an alcoholic or like do will do whatever for money kind of thing, but like smuggler type guy who's not handsome, swashbuckling, so is like seedy, <laughs> looks like a overweight, of like, yeah, <laughs> like, looks horrible. This is like sweat, so it's like a it's like. Yeah, this is meant to make our hero look like better and more handsome, and like even though he's working with this guy, and it works. So he helps him track down a uh, bulletproof pontoon boat. Maybe it may or may not be from GI Joe, <laughs> made from Kevlar, which I, I, I'm gonna guess physics would make that impossible. I uh, know, but I love the scene where they have they very clearly shoot it with blanks, and they're like, "See, it doesn't do any damage." It's <laughs> bulletproof boat that's made of a rubber hull and inflated with air which i didn't think about that if they shot that with real bullets like wouldn't they just like ricochet all over the damn yeah place? no they, they don't show anything like impacting the the hull there's nothing interesting you're just like okay so no it's uh it's a very impressive boat i will say as a kid that boat stood out to me because it had the really cool sort of uh 
towel paintings of like shark teeth and stuff yeah. on it like an old oh old, it's a, the perfect book you're 10 years old of like, yeah i'm like yeah, i, I yeah, wanted one of those it was fucking awesome <laughs> i think i had a gi joe well, a, a little bit cooler than yeah the one you talked about the little raft <laughs> they end up yeah, at the end the, the 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 kind of backup raft at the end not so yeah. cool <laughs> but this one's pretty awesome I jammed like, like a clown car full of like <laughs> You can see it sagging in the middle and like can't really support them. Like it's like I think slowly I, paddling in. Like, I think my kids have a, a better raft they use in the pool during the summers than what yeah, they used yeah. to escape at the end of this. But yeah, so so that that's kind of the the impetus for for uh, Tucker and or Tuck and uh, Brad going back into Vietnam. I really like the exchange where Tuck's asking these very normal, reasonable questions to Braddock of like. How are you gonna get in? Who's gonna drive the boat? What are you gonna do? How are you gonna navigate <laughs> yeah. to get to a gunfight? And like, he's like, "What's oh, the plan out. here?" <laughs> and then and as all... you are single handedly invading another country. <laughs> <laughs> well, and then Tuck is like asking his asking these questions, and then as he's getting answers back, he's like, "Oh, now I have to go in and do all these things." And it's like, <laughs> yeah. "No, you don't, you dumbass! You just you basically <laughs> so... volunteered." <laughs> So I guess that's, a, what, that's what makes him redeeming, right? Is he? He? he yeah, he, he's like gonna, and that, and that it seems like is also like a trait of that character. You see a lot of, uh, like Han Solo, like coming like back hero. to save the, uh, to save Luke, yeah, in a New Hope, like kind of like the guy who's like complaining, but by the end does the right thing, and it's gonna, and that's why like Braddock goes to him because he's like, oh, he's gonna bitch him on, but he'll do, he'll be there when I need him, and he's got the best sex workers in Thailand. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh so we we had a good back and forth about this of <laughs> i'd love to watch it again and add it up but i think this is so this is costing braddock <laughs> 20 25 grand what are the economics for for for, for james braddock going back into Vietnam? so did he bring that money with him does he just have it where did he get it how is this all financed I, uh, I think no, we were debating it's... like two theories about it. <laughs> How about you introduce your? I think yours is the more plausible, although you have to do all of the work for the movie to actually set it up. That's the, uh, I, the one where it's the the government. CIA. Yeah, yeah. So my my theory was when in the beginning when he calls and he says, "All right, I'll do it." It's the CIA has intel. There are still P, like MIA POWs in Vietnam. They've contacted him because. He's the last he POW MIA yeah. to escape and come out of there. And so they're like, oh, like you might be the best guy to like track down these camps or like have a special intel or like, and they're trying to get him to go back in and try to track down these soldiers. And it's like, oh, you probably have some like motivation and familiarity uh, to do this. And so he's reluctant. He's like, well, no, I just escaped. I'm not going to go back. Um, and it, when they're showing the Spider-Man stuff, they do show some news clips kind of talking about this political uh, situation of where there might be some POWs still there. So I think he calls and says, all right, I'll do it because he's seen the news stuff, watched the episode of Spider-Man, and he's like, I can't live with myself if I don't go back and try to find these guys and help them. So I think the CIA <laughs> Spider-Man, you is me. potentially financing this. In my in I think they've set this senator up as a front for this operation, which is why the senator is not, but the senator doesn't know about it because they need deniability. Um, and that's probably why like 
Braddock is also reluctant. It's like, you're kind of on your own, but we need someone to go do this um, to try to free these guys. And, and that's my, the, the movie gives you like none of that. <laughs> <laughs> no, not like none of that. It gives you absolutely none of that. I think you, what you've just come up with is a far better premise than anything that's ever introduced or even messaged. I think in this movie. <laughs> so now, good job. I, <laughs> Which, I mean, would expect, but um, I think there's one other plausible scenario for how uh, this is being financed. Do you want me to go through it? Oh, yeah. Uh, eight years of back pay for being a POW <laughs> from the U.S. US Army. And uh, they've just been putting it into a savings account and he hasn't touched it. And he's like, hey, I got like 50 grand of back pay and I'm just going to go take it. I'm going to blow it all on weapons in a fucking cool boat. And uh <laughs> Uh, I'm going to use that to finance my own personal vendetta with the country of <laughs> Vietnam and clear my name to the, the Vietnamese government and, and, and uh, pull these guys out. But I mean, that's, that's, that's like, it sounds cool. as like the American kind of the American dad, middle-class dad of like, I'm going to do something cool and I'm going to do something yeah. awesome. <laughs> but if that's really his plan, like, None of it's ever set up like it doesn't it seems they never tell you why he would actually be there. They never tell you how he gets financed and you never really understand what the end game for him is other than. Okay, he he, he believes there's a there's POWs after he talks to one of the one of his former captors and and he gives him information. It's like a James Bond movie. With except no they exposition. Cut, except they cut out the opening where he goes to M and gets the mission. <laughs> so you, you just see this guy. You know what? You might be lavishly right. within having access to weapons and things like that. Yeah, you might be right. I I wouldn't. It's a canon movie, man. I, they're notorious for cutting stuff down. I wouldn't. I think you're right. You, I wouldn't be shocked if there's this whole set of exposition. That just let they're like oh, I don't need it. Who cares? <laughs> like it's yeah. <laughs> let's cut the movie down so people can watch it and and and, and move on. So <laughs> I like the idea more that he's just his per- it's a personal vendetta and he's launching a war. Oh, me too, uh, me too. Know, that's my that's... Per- I think that's my preferred interpretation. <laughs> this is all personally financed from like he was like a POW for like a decade, so he's got like a shitload of back pay from the army, so he can <laughs> go is... spend. <laughs> I uh yeah I um I, I I like that I like that idea and so that that's kind of the the setup for him going back into Vietnam is him and Tuck take a uh that that uh inflatable zodiac boat with the shark shark teeth on it and they take that back into Vietnam uh they break into a uh a base Braddock kills everybody like thirty guys single handedly. Uh, and then he frees so, a bunch a of nice like grenade launch reaction, but he uses uh, everything. I give him credit. Yeah, like it's it, definitely it starts out with some nice like silent kills. Well, Emmett really Walsh fucks that up when he he takes a shot. Oh yeah, uh, and then uh, to 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 stop another another patrol boat that's coming at him. I love this uh, Chuck Norris pitch of the year with uh, landing that that perfect grenade throw into that boat, blowing it up. <laughs> Yeah, so the the ending kind of goes into Braddock basically getting getting back in the boat with with Tuck. They go up river. They're looking for a, a troop transport that's carrying four or five American POWs, uh, so Braddock can can extract them and, and clear his name. And 
this leads to a a lot of fun of just Tuck and and Braddock go uh, driving up and down the river, strafing the the jeeps with uh, machine gun fire, and then boom, a fucking RPG blows the boat up in the air. Um, you may or may not see a Jean Claude Van Damme dressed as Emmett Walsh in that scene for stunts. I don't really know. <laughs> <laughs> I'd love to think that's that that that's who JCVD is going to portray in this in this scene. He was the body, body double and then Walsh. But what does it lead to? <laughs> it leads perfect to match. <laughs> one of the most iconic oh, yeah. shots of Chuck Norris. So the boat gets blown up. Chuck and Tuck are in the water. Chuck and Tuck. That's what we should call their combo. Chuck and Tuck. Chuck and Tuck. Nice. <laughs> Uh, or Tuck and Chuck, because Tuck and Chuck sounds like you're going to tuck your dick and throw up or something. I don't know. It's uh... Tuck and Chuck, baby. Tuck and Chuck. Yeah, it does oh, sound like, like a frat. Like safest something. way to do it. Yeah. Yeah, tuck and Chuck. Um, but yeah, so so Norris goes under. He grabs the M60 uh, machine gun from the front of the boat. And then you it cuts to these in slow-mo, these three uh, Viet, uh, Viet Cong that are, or sorry, Vietnamese army guys that are laughing that they've just blown up chuck norris and what does he do he and they are the happiest water. people on the planet those i know three guys like, and like, all our friends just got like, killed but hey yeah. we did it <laughs> it's like from like an i don't know an 80s montage of like guys who just want I, I don't yeah yeah like, i don't even know how to, like, they are exuberantly happy uh and so chuck pops out slow-mo with an m60 and just unloads and and of course takes these guys out it is ridiculous that he somehow like gets blown up in the air like 20 feet and then somehow recovers the gun and then still jumps out of the water with his eyes open and shoots these guys. But it does look awesome and it's yeah. like peak Chuck to me. That's my start. most canon moment. The slow-mo Chuck Norris. It's good. You're firing you're a machine gun is like this is everything canon was trying to do. <laughs> It's where they, I think it's where they hit their stride, right? It's, it's and it's also the most candid to me. It's like because it's sort of laughable, but it's also like this is pretty cool. Aw- this is pretty awesome. <laughs> like, <laughs> this is why I'm watching this movie. <laughs> like, yeah, <laughs> yeah, I, I, I really like that part. I was like, that w- I, I think, correct me if I'm wrong, in sidekicks, they keep making allusions <laughs> to that scene. Oh, it's been too long. I don't know. It's been too long. Oh, okay, it's too much of a deep hole. So we need to do a sidekicks episode. We should do a sidekicks episode. <laughs> uh, but no, the best, my favorite part of that is like you can feel it coming when they're doing the slow motion on the the, the soldiers laughing, and it's like, <laughs> oh, he's popping out of the water in slow motion, like taking care, like mowing these guys down, <laughs> and like he does it, and it's everything you want it to be. It's just like just spectacular. But you are right. There's never stakes of like, oh no, he might be dead. <laughs> it's like, yeah, no, yeah. it's like. Just waiting for waiting for the inevitable of him to kill everybody else. Well, because it's like if this was realistic, where he was going to die, he would have fallen off one of those balconies. Like <laughs> 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 that's true. There's lots of more practical ways to have killed him earlier in the movie than than, than in it's like, and it's such as like, oh, I guess this guy can't die. <laughs> like, <laughs> um, well, so he frees the POWs and they escape to the coast where they get into. The smallest boat I've ever seen five adult men <laughs> climb into. <laughs> and uh, I, I, it does feel like they're trying to cut away from it as much as they can because it, you, you pointed that out to me. And I was like, you're, they're right. They do. They, they kind of need to show it, but it's real fast. <laughs> <laughs> 
they show them each like getting like two paddles in and they'll cut to like guys shooting at them on the bank of the the river they're trying to escape <laughs> and then they'll like i think my favorite was uh tuck's guy on the boat because they're getting back to tuck's main boat to to escape and that guy has it's like another m60 and it's up on the the front of the of tuck's uh boat and there's a a vietnamese patrol boat coming at him and it's like doesn't reload he just is unloading for a good three minutes straight with his gun <laughs> never show him hitting anything anything yeah. but and he just gets blasted apart and destroyed so the, so that patrol boat coming at them you know um in monty python the holy grail <laughs> I know exactly where it's is it uh is it john cleese is it galahad I mean, Galahad. Uh, yeah but he's, uh, he's so he's like running towards yeah, the yeah. castle and like they keep, keep cutting, cutting and he's back in the same spot and runs keep cutting back <laughs> the same spot run, and then he's suddenly there it's like that's what that patrol boat does it's exactly it's exactly it what it to it, and it's like forever away forever away and then it's there also it's, it's just there it kills tucker well no to your point earlier of like okay i wonder if tuck was weighing the boat down and that's why it's going so slow <laughs> and that's why uh, yeah he was <laughs> tuck rolls back after his his guy gets killed he just rolls backwards no prompting just rolls backwards and says i'll see you in hell braddock <laughs> rolls over the back and he swims to his boat he does the same thing he just unloads yeah. on this guy for a minute or two yeah. doesn't reload and then those guys take a couple shots at him boat explodes yeah. tucks dead <laughs> like that's it for him it's done so so the other thing i loved in they're waiting out like to the boat or like, I don't know, it's a these vietnamese sort of chasing them there's a like truck chase and everything and so but like chuck norris and the pow's are in the water and there's multiple like vietnamese soldiers like down on a knee like rifle aiming at them <laughs> not hitting shit maybe chuck norris maybe while feet away. wading through this water carrying other like pow's is turning around hip shot like a machine gun and just picking guys off like <laughs> <laughs> no problem like <laughs> hey it's like fucking eagle eye norris <laughs> hey look don't 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 conflate skill with uh bad movie making all right yeah <laughs> it's like I, they, uh, they, they picked the right guy to send <laughs> it just happens to be that chuck norris is the best <laughs> well so this ends with uh they take the helicopter that they've also bought from this french yeah, guy so, i think he's french uh, so they, chuck norris goes or braddock goes and talks to this helicopter pilot of like oh we, we might need backup we might need a helicopter i'm gonna like shut this up i don't understand how that guy shows up because like things go really shitty <laughs> the boat they're supposed to escape on blows up and then the helicopter just shows, like who called him in like how did he know to come right now i don't it doesn't make any sense <laughs> right. I forgot, it's a silly I, thing I to worry forgot about that that guy was gonna show up because i'm like oh that's the arms dealer i totally forgot they they even yeah like prime you for that uh earlier on but well <laughs> so uh but... what do you think his objective here is because he he lands in downtown saigon where this conference is concluding <laughs> and he drags these POWs up the stairs and into this this conference room. And that's where it cuts. It's just, you know, Braddock dumping these guys into a conference room. And then um, it's just like a freeze frame. And and the ending is, the, is like, we fucking told you. Yeah. <laughs> Goddamn <That's>... Vietnam. <laughs> <laughs> that's what it's really just like. We embarrassed Vietnam. Go America. 
that's kind of what it feels like. It's like point yeah. delivered. The end. Yeah. It's like it's like, we, it's like we showed you Vietnam. <laughs> like, A yeah. to black. Wow. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> it, it yeah, it's such a it's such a bizarre ending. Again, well, it's you, it, you can it's see like the, so typical like canon like jingoistic like it's jingoistic is like, like word for it like of completely oblivious like america could possibly have done something wrong yeah like maybe we should have never been in vietnam or the first place <laughs> yeah, like, or... um and just like treating an issue with like a lot of gray and many sides to it as just like Black america's white. right <laughs> <laughs> the two israeli guys cousins think that america is always right yeah <laughs> um no I, I i the ending made me laugh and it's not supposed to be funny yeah. it's supposed to be this big poignant moment but it just doesn't work now, i also kind of have a hard time believing that if you land a chopper in the front of a government building in a foreign country you're probably not making it inside if you're running in armed and with a bunch yeah, of right. guys they just like, like push like yeah. yeah you're probably not going to get in that in that building that was just a thought though so so fucking mission and are missing in action if you had 10 percent, oh my god so two hundred fifty thousand dollars. where are you spending it to 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 uh polish up this already epic chuck norris movie <laughs> um i'm tempted to re-edit it but then i'm nervous the movie is only going to be 50 minutes long <laughs> Oh, you're going to cut. I was going to say you should add to it, but go ahead. Well, I think it's like, there's just a lot of like fucking like Chuck Norris walking around like Bangkok streets doing nothing kind of, um, no, it's, yeah, kind of things yeah. of, um, they're just things they really stretch out. It feels like, cause I think this is like 128 minutes or something. Um, so it feels like they're really trying to like hit that almost 90 minute runtime, <laughs> but, uh, but it's hard because the action is good. It's more it slows down a bit in the middle of of, of like, and like Chuck Norris is maybe not fully capable of carrying um, a movie. Yeah, carrying dramatic moments of the movie. So uh, excellent, excellent point. I don't know. I don't know. Maybe I would just add one more action sequence. Um, just to the, why to not the dream, to the like, dream sequence? At least, uh, no. <laughs> um, like I think there's a point where he's just walking around Bangkok and he's he's going to arms. It's all that stuff where it's like in between, where he kills the general. And he breaks into the to that base or whatever. He kills the general, and it's like when he goes back to the hotel. Everything after that, and when he goes to Thailand. No, you know, there's like a lot add? of time of him just walk. You're right. Like if him just like walking that market and it's the same music playing and him going back to the bar where Tuck is and then him going back to another hotel. And it's just like you're kind of like waiting for the action. It's like you're waiting for the third act to start. Basically. Yeah. Yeah. But you know what I would actually add where when he's at the hotel in Vietnam, when they first get there, I would have an attack on him. In his hotel room, um, and he like throws like the assassin like out the window or something, um, 
and like every like no one believes him and like oh you're just crazy of uh, uh, but just to uh i think it would yeah. ju- actually justify him oh, yeah, sneaking out a little bit more um of like oh okay like they're worried about him and coming after him so like he's uh, after something and and i think that's where it's kind of has slowed down you've not had action for a little while too of just um given an action piece an action piece there that maybe also explains some of his motivation no a little bit more not not a not a bad idea i um i liked i will say that i did like the scene they have sort of in the middle of all of them <laughs> walking around with the i mean god they laid on thick but uh the the or, grenade launcher into his hotel room the stunt looked to me looked awesome where he sees them right yeah before that did fire, look good and he just launches himself into the door and you it, see this I'm assuming it's a stunt guy. God help him if it was actually yes. Chuck. But the stunt guy come through the door and like a nanosecond later, the explosion just blows out into the hall. It's like, holy yeah, that shit, that looked real. Like, yeah, they, like you really they, see a guy get like yeah, blown like that out of his door into it. Yeah, incredible stunt. But um, I, yeah, you're right. I, I think they need they don't do anything to set up the stakes because it feels like uh, James Hong when they're at that embassy party early on in the movie. He also he's basically just like laughing at Braddock, like you know, you, whatever you whatever your claims are about us, you know, treating you poorly or you being a prisoner of war, and there being POWs still here, is silly and nobody really believes you. And it seems like that's actually the case. But to your point, it, they needed to set some stakes of maybe James Hong's character being concerned or like needing to dispatch Braddock, to, yeah, to ensure that there, nobody like... finds out. But no, yeah, they never did that. See, like... They treat like they take him seriously as a threat, even if they're trying to publicly dismiss him. Yeah, and that, you're right. They, that's a a pretty easy path to just yeah. set up some stakes that just don't pay off. That they or when uh, Jack Tucker invites him into bed, two hundred fifty thousand dollar orgy scene. <laughs> <laughs> um, I yeah, I feel like you wouldn't have to pay uh, Intimate Walsh for that. He'd just be like, "Yep, let's do it." free yeah maybe you're paying other people to be in that scene with him but i think he would do it for free <laughs> um i would well we've already established all right it's 10 percent of the budget it's about two hundred fifty thousand dollars. we've already established you can buy the spider-man rights <laughs> yeah, in 1984 for two hundred twenty-five thousand dollars. <laughs> <laughs> so i am gonna spend $250,000 probably buying all of the X-Men rights before they've ever done a cartoon. And then we're just going to make the rest of the movie, a uh, X-Men versus Spider-Man, some sort of uh, battle. <laughs> now that you have both the rights. <laughs> now I've got the rights to both. And and that means it's in about 30 move. years from this movie, I'm going to be a fucking billionaire because I'll have all these have franchises the to, under yeah. one umbrella. <laughs> you get to buy those and just have Canon hold them <laughs> and not yeah. let them go ever. <laughs> I could. I mean, if I had a time machine, I think that's what I tell my family to go invest in. Is just go yeah. buy buy movie rights to crazy <laughs> shit. Um, I think I probably would put ten percent of it back into what you talked about earlier. Um, in all seriousness, of of giving some exposition as to like what his give some background, like like why is he here? In terms of is it a mission? Is the intent always to get people out? It's kind of fun that it's a mystery, but man, you got to do a lot of work to yeah <laughs> to figure out like what's the rationalization for how all this is coming together so i, th- I think i think you could spend some more time on 
a, like the setup and 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 justifying you get his motivations but you need you need to understand like the how and the why of what he, what he's doing a little bit more i like it damn right you do we're going to make this a great movie um i did want to i did want to tie this in before we we kind of wrap everything um just <laughs> just to bring this full circle full circle with Denzel Washington for a third time <laughs> Uh, the guy who pr- who produced this, uh, his name is Lance Hool, or he's one of the producers. He was the guy who also directed the sequel, again, the sequel prequel, Missing in Action in the Beginning. And he was a producer on the movie we've already talked about from Denzel Washington, uh, which was uh, Man on Fire. So <laughs> that's we have we have literally come full circle on this like three times now with with Denzel Washington and uh, um, tying it back to Canon films. Ah, beautiful. <laughs> it is beautiful. That that's, that's art right there. All right. Would you cast Carl Weathers in this movie? I, Oh man, I I'm trying to go look at my answers real quick. Cause I can't remember. <laughs> it's it's a tough one. There's not, there's not too many roles. No, it's, you, it's you're... really just tuck and Chuck and tuck can't be as, as, physically capable as chuck that's kind of like it, it would change the movie a lot i wouldn't mind that movie but you're right it gives him such it, a strong yeah. ally of like it, it kind of becomes a two-hander in the third act if you do that which, I, think you that's know, not... I wouldn't mind a buddy movie of chuck norris uh and carl weathers i mean he kind of does that mid-80s in, in um Firewalker with Lou Gossett Jr. and but it's just not good. Oh, yeah. Like Lou Gossett Jr. kind of carries him, and you it Chuck Norris the lone wolf. <laughs> he kind of he, he is better is like on his own. Um, if I had to put Carl Weathers in this, I would make him like maybe you give some backstory to more of the POWs that they don't show you until the last ten minutes of the movie, and so maybe you make him one of the POWs and you build out that that storyline there. <laughs> Or, or do you make him the thumbs up guy? <laughs> <laughs> uh, I would like that a lot because I, to what we said earlier, I, um, if I had to take this movie as any kind of uh, commentary on the, the overall fitness of the U.S. military, then, then we're in deep trouble as a nation. <laughs> so Carl Weathers would at least uh, would at least up our game for <laughs> some of that. How about you? Where where do you put in uh uh Carl? Uh I'm just gonna make him Braddock. Fuck it. All right, fair enough. It's completely <laughs> changed. This. In this. <laughs> uh, he's obviously a better actor. Um obviously physically can could be extremely convincing in in the role. Um yeah, yeah. I mean, we've talked about how he get underused, underserved, deserved an action franchise. Uh, yeah, let's, let's give him a crack at it. <laughs> it was... I mean, definitely changes the energy of this movie significantly, but I do think maybe that's a good thing because he's a more compelling screen presence. He he is. He's not wooden like Chuck, but he's got the same physical presence. The only only thing you 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 lose here is the the karate. But I mean, the, the entire third act is Chuck just shooting people. So do right. you really, he, do, do you really lose anything? <laughs> yeah. All right, I, I, I like it. That's a better option than mine. <laughs> yeah, it's just you know, 
there's not a there's not many places to to stick him. Uh, that's what she said. Not a lot of rolls. Not a lot of rolls. <laughs> no, I mean there there really isn't. It's like the other thing is, it's like either you put him in the American dele- uh, delegation that's there, you switch him out with Chuck, like you said, or or you you. Yeah, it's, it's, you make him. Uh, you got to make him Brad or Tucker. It's the only thing, yeah. realistically worthwhile to do. Because um, I mean, he can't be one of the Vietnamese yeah. like generals. I, or... I think this movie cares so little that they're probably like, if they did it, I also would not be surprised. You think about it. <laughs> so, yeah, like, that sounds, sounds right. <laughs> like they got a good deal. He was free for a couple of days. I mean, Cannon would have done it if he was willing. That's <laughs> yeah, probably true. Uh, what do you rank this thing? Man, let me check what I. What I'll, I all right, I'll, gave I'll, it. While, while you're looking, I'll, I'll go. I I okay. I, uh, I gave it uh, three out of five Kevlar shark, shark boats <laughs> because <laughs> uh, I, I the action the action scenes are fun. Um, overall, the movie does look good, especially when you compare it to the sequel. Uh, it just looks like a, you know, even though it's canon, a pretty well polished movie. Um, and I just wanted to comment on how I looked at the the run that they did. It's crazy because we've covered all of these or all the movies we've covered is they make, they make, or they put this out in November of 84 life forces in June of eight. Well, and we talked about already mission missing in action Two, the beginning is out in March of 85 June of 85 is life force. American Ninja is August of 85. And so it's like, man, yeah. they, it's crazy how fast, they were able yeah, like, to churn out, out movies. Yeah, Just, like couldn't couldn't believe. I, I I don't feel like anything anybody could keep up with that pace today. I'm not saying it's all good, but yeah, not one. Uh, but yeah, yeah. So uh, so uh, yeah, I have two and a half. Uh, Chuck Norris's in tight black underwear. We <laughs> <laughs> see which we left out when he goes with the woman who writes back for the nightcap. He just starts taking off his clothes. And he's planning he's going to put on his like black ninja gear to go. So, but she's like, uh, a little much, but she kind of looks like she's she, still just going to go through with it. She's not against it. Yeah. And she's I like, yeah, I guess I'll still do it. But yeah. It's like the, the unusually tanned guy with weird bleach blonde hair and a mustache thing. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and tidy whiteies. Why not? Let's do it. Um, nice i i do i did really enjoy this one uh it's it's a perfect canon movie to me um but Very, i think the quintessential canon yeah it really is um i i will say too um sorry I, I meant to mention this earlier tying this into another movie i watched this week uh the guy uh lance Hull, who produced this directed the sequel and as we already established uh produced uh, man on fire he also produ- produced a classic movie known as 10 to Midnight, which I cannot wait for us to cover on this <laughs> at some point, too. So, and also, I'll say they took a lot of the uh, team from this because it did so well, and that's what that to uh, Invasion, Invasion USA. USA. That's so right. that's a, you know, important important film moment for America. It really is. So what do we have next? And speaking of important film moments. Uh, <laughs> a little movie called Cyborg starring Jean-Claude Van Damme. And uh, I already watched it. <laughs> and spoiler alert it is fucking awful which I, <laughs> which i i was aware of uh but there is a lot to talk about it for it so i'm excited for the episode because the production story behind it is pretty good and probably better than the movie actually for you yeah but me. the movie has 
a lot of good podcast moments, including <laughs> really bizarre Christ imagery <laughs> that adds up to nothing, but man, they sure give you a lot of it. Well, that's all that matters is they tried, buddy. They tried. You like John Claude Van Damme and crucifixes? Because this is the movie for you. <laughs> um, I yeah, I, I watched about twenty minutes last night and fell asleep. Um, all truth, uh, I have not seen this probably since I was like ten or eleven. So I, I'm excited yeah. to uh, I'm excited to see where it goes. Yeah, it, it's 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 got a lot of bizarre choices in it. So you know, it's it's but yeah, it's not not this the most good. entertaining it's, watch. It's, Golden Globus at the end, right? Like this yeah. is bankruptcy era. Like, yeah, I think it's post bankruptcy where they're just try like they're shit against the wall, spending no money and hoping they can get something. And they kind of do a little bit, but yeah. So, all right, I will uh, talk to I'm you next time. week. I'm excited for some JCVD, JCVD crucifixes and Atlanta. That's the other key key point Atlanta. of Atlanta. Uh, Atlanta. Atlanta. <laughs>